please open your Bibles to John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. If you're using the Pew Bible, you will find the reading on page 901. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word and give us faith to not only believe what your word says, but also to act upon it um, for the glory of the Son as he is seeking to bring glory to the Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe that it is appropriate uh, to address the Supreme Court ruling uh, from this past Friday for a few moments. I imagine most of you have that on your mind this morning to varying degrees uh, already. Regardless of what our nation mandates, the practice of homosexuality is a sinful activity. The Bible calls it a perversion. I would suppose that not everyone here this morning would agree. I would refer you then to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 28, uh, if you have any questions about God's assessment of the practice of homosexuality. That being said, we are called to be a people who trust in God and love our neighbors. That means we're not going to get all bent out of shape over this court ruling. We are going to trust in our sovereign God. We are going to love those who oppose us. We are also going to love homosexuals. We're going to act kindly to them and point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. The rapidity with which our country has embraced the practice of homosexuality is uh, surprising. This is a wake-up call for us. It is a reminder that we cannot trust in political solutions, nor can we trust in cultural stability. And to read the four dissenting justices uh, who dissented from the, uh, the minority opinion, they seem to be suggesting that we can no longer trust our constitutional rights either. I received an email yesterday uh, addressing this Supreme Court decision. I received it from Uganda. The email was from Martin Odie, one of my new Ugandan friends. And the reason he was emailing me was to implore me to, to oppose the torrent of, um, of, of culture, the direction of our culture, uh, to oppose it in a spiritual manner. Among the things he wrote, Martin said, Do not try to fight spiritual wars with weapons of flesh and blood, 
or using mental abilities. Please use spiritual weapons to fight spiritual battles. Martin's exhortation is is an appropriate segue into the sermon this morning. This is our third sermon from John chapter 14. You will remember that Jesus is seeking to encourage His disciples. So verse 1, Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. So this is the context in which we should understand verses 12 through 14. So listen to verses 12 through 14 in light of Friday's Supreme Court ruling. Uh, Justin just read it for us. I'll um, quickly uh, read it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Do you find any encouragement in Jesus' words? The first thing we see here in verse 12 is the familiar expression, truly, truly, or the King James, verily, verily, or if you have the NIV, uh, it reads, I tell you the truth. Whichever translation you have in front of you, Jesus uses this expression to tell you, listen up. Pay special attention to what He's about to say. So what does Jesus say after that? He says, whoever believes in Me will also do the works that I do. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Do you trust Him for your salvation? If you do, then you will be doing the works that He did while He was here on earth. Jesus' miracles were only a means to an end. He's not talking about us doing miracles because He did miracles. His miracles were simply a means to an end. His miracles served to primarily authenticate His message and also to authenticate His identity. The work that Jesus came to do he said in verse uh, in Luke 19 verse 10 was to seek and to save the lost. Matthew 9 verse 13 Jesus said for I came not to call the righteous but sinners. Mark 10:45 Jesus said for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, the whole of Jesus's work boiled down to his saving his his saving work his saving activity and this is the work that Jesus has given the church for us to continue he died on the cross he rose from the grave he is exalted to the right hand of god he sat down at the father's right hand signifying that his work of redemption was completed and now he charges the church to continue His work by seeking and to save the lost. To to do evangelism, in other words. You know the Great Commission. Uh, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. 
this work that He has given us to do. It's not simply for the church in general. It's also for believers individually. He says, whoever believes in Me will do the works that I do. It does not say that only pastors will do the work. It does not say that only gifted evangelists will do the work. It does not say that missionaries will do the work. It says, whoever believes in Me will also do the works that I do. Here's the typical way that it works in the typical congregation. The congregation says that it's the pastor's job to do evangelism. And the pastor says that it's the the, the, minister, the job of the minister of, of outreach to do evangelism. And uh, the responsibility is passed around like a hot potato. Nobody wants to hold that responsibility too long. And so while everybody is saying... I'm not gifted in evangelism, or I'm shy, or I'm not as educated in the Bible as as I need to be, so I don't know how to share my faith. Do you know what the world is saying the entire time that we're giving these excuses? The world and our nation is saying homosexual marriage is lawful. In other words, the reason... Our nation does not care about God's standards of right and wrong is because Christians are not evangelizing. The only hope for our nation's well-being is the gospel. Any other remedy is destined to fail. I don't have time to work this out in detail, but I can easily make the case that our salvation in Christ not only reconciles us to God, but it also transforms us into messengers for the Gospel. Again, Jesus said, Whoever believes in Me will also do the works that I do. We know that sharing... Uh, our faith in Jesus is not easy. We acknowledge that not everyone is gifted in the same way. But we want to encourage you to take baby steps in sharing your faith if you do struggle um, in uh, evangelism. We're having a Sunday especially designated as Visitor Sunday, August 2nd. Just a little over a month away. The idea is for you to encourage um, uh, someone to come to church with you, to invite someone to church. Uh, so you need to begin praying today that uh, about who you will invite to church on August 2nd. This gives you over a month to begin praying to invite someone if they decline your invitation. It gives you time to invite someone else. Don't simply say, well, I've done my duty, and they said no, I'm off the hook. And don't invite someone from the church down the street. <laughs> Especially invite someone who does not go to church or who is not a believer in Christ. You're going to be hearing more about this, but this is a way that you can do the works that Christ did while He was on earth. It's an opportunity to obey Him in this area. 
you're saying, oh, evangelism. Oh, inviting someone to church. Well, that's not really what I feel comfortable with. Well, the second half of verse 12 should give you some tremendous encouragement. Jesus said that you will do even greater works than He did. Now, this doesn't sound quite right. But that's exactly what He said. Look at the second half of verse 12. Greater works than these He will do. Talking about the one who believes in Him. He says, because I am going to the Father. This does not mean, as I said last week, that we will do greater miracles than Jesus. Um, we won't be doing the miracles of healing and walking on the water and all that. That's not what it means. Rather, He is talking about our effectiveness in evangelism. Jesus preached for three years, and on the night in which He was um, betrayed and crucified, uh, or the night before his, his crucifixion, he only had a handful of believers. And when he was betrayed, most of those believers then fled away from him. But on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were converted. And the church has grown ever since. Truly, it is the mustard seed that has grown into the great tree. It was raining this morning and I had been procrastinating on picking up the little acorn that I wanted to pick up for the object lesson this morning. So I struggled through on that uh, illustration uh, for the children. But the little acorn that grows into the great oak tree is a picture of the Gospel. Just a handful of believers after three and a half years of ministry. And then all of a sudden... Something happened between the upper room and the day of Pentecost. During that 50 days of when Jesus is teaching His disciples and the day of Pentecost, what happened? Jesus died on the cross. He was resurrected from the dead. He ascended to the Father's right hand and won the victory for the church. And so now we are ministering within the effects of Jesus' completed works. And so He says then that we are going to do greater works than He did. Not because we're wonderful, not because we're powerful, but because He is in heaven making intercession for us. J.C. Ryle sums it up nicely. He said, What our Lord has in view seems to be the far greater seems to be the far greater number of conversions, the far wider spread of the gospel, which would take place under the ministry of the apostles than under his own teaching. In short, greater works means more conversions. There is no greater work possible than the conversion of a soul. Let us believe that there is nothing too hard or too great for believers to do so long as their Lord intercedes for them in heaven. Let us work on in faith and expect great things. Though we feel weak and lonely like the disciples, our Lord is working with us and for us, though we cannot see Him. That's J.C. Ryle. Jesus promised that people who trust in Him will do greater works than Him in terms of the effectiveness of our evangelism. The question then is, are we greater works Christians? Is Westminster Presbyterian Church a greater works congregation? 
If not, why not? Could it be that we limit ourselves to do only things that can be accomplished by human resources alone? Could it be that we perceive obstacles in front of us and refuse to go forward in faith? Have we considered that greater works Christianity is a possibility for the life of our congregation and for the members of our congregation? Have you considered that Christ has called you to be a greater works Christian? Have you considered that this second half of verse 12 is a promise from Christ Himself? that everyone who believes in Him will do greater works than He did. Could this be, could it be that, that our lack of greater works Christianity could point to a lack in our trust in our Savior? It is my firm conviction, based here on verse 12, that we have large areas of unbelief of which we need to repent until we begin seeing regular conversions to Christ through the ministry of our congregation. Jesus knew how impossible this would be when He said it. That's why He followed up verse, verse 12 with verses 13 and 14. So verses 13 and 14, Whatever you ask in My name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask Me anything in My name, I will do it. Our evangelism is not the work that we do on our own. It is Christ's work through us. The key to becoming to, to our becoming greater works Christians is for us to pray because it is Christ's work. I think the promises of answered prayer in verses 13 and 14 relate to more than, than evangelism. Jesus says, whatever you ask, uh, in verse 13. In verse 14, He says, if you ask Me anything... So Jesus promises a wide range of answers to our prayers. He says, pray a wide range of, of requests. But surely, His chief concern in speaking of prayer in this context is in relation to our effectiveness in evangelism. So, a couple of questions come a little more sharply into focus. First question, why is it that so many true Christians are not greater works Christians? Or to ask the question in, in uh, the words of J.C. Ryle as he asked it in his commentary, he said, how is it that Christians go halting and mourning on the way to heaven and enjoy so little peace and show so little strength in Christ's service? Ryle answers this question by saying, the answer is simple and plain. They have little because they ask little. They are no better than they are because they do not ask their Lord to make them better. Our languid desires are the reason for our languid performances. We have a prayer meeting that has recently started, if you would like to join us. If you're feeling as if your prayers are languid, which um, 
means unenergetic or lazy, then you can make a point of joining us. We'd love to have you. We're meeting every Wednesday morning at 5 a.m. And we're praying until 6 a.m. I'm willing to stay around for a second prayer meeting uh, to begin at 6.30 a.m. and go to 7.30 a.m. on Wednesday mornings. Uh, So we want to encourage your participation. We are praying in these meetings for our effectiveness in evangelism. In other words, we're praying that we become greater works Christians and that our congregation would become a greater works congregation. And our ultimate goal in praying for these things is found in verse 13. Jesus says that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And since we're talking about evangelism, and we want to not just preach about it, we want to give you opportunities. This Saturday, um, the 4th of July, we allow people from the community to park on our property, and we'll be handing out popsicles uh, after the parade as people return to their cars. But also a group from our church Uh, We'll be going out to the parade to do evangelism. Uh, We'll be using Sylvester's um, surveys. Uh, We did this last year. It was very well received by the people that we spoke to. If you want to participate in evangelism, be here by 8 a.m. in order that we might pray for an hour. And then we'll start heading to the parade route um, and meet people as they're beginning to, to be there along the parade. And then there will, of course, be others. The deacons, I'm sure, would want me to say there will be others who will be parking cars, and they'd love for your participation uh, in that as well. The only hope for our nation, the only hope for the future generations of our children is our stepping out in faith and believing what Jesus said here in this passage in verses 12 through 14. And not only believing what He said, but also acting upon it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You would help us to be effective in our evangelism. Lord, help us to be um, eager in opening our mouths, loving and kind as we open our mouths to talk about our Lord Jesus Christ, who has been so loving and kind to us to save us from our sins. Father, I pray that You would make us individually and as a a congregation into greater works Christians, knowing that the work that we do is Your work through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.